0: the church. He is the beginning and the first form from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Wonderful description of, of Jesus, uh, who he was, who he is, and what he did. And I just want to unpack that a bit uh, today. There's a, a lot to it, so I'm not going to go into great detail. But what I want to say first of all is that the book of Colossians, if you read it all, uh, Paul is writing to a group of Christians who uh, he's never met, actually, uh, but the church was, was started by Epaphras, he went there, uh, having been uh, heard Paul and been converted, and he went and spoke to these, uh, these people in Colossae, and they received the gospel, and they sprung up a church, and they had a great, uh, a great time, and yet a, a little while later some people had come along to, to bring in other things to the gospel, a little bit like the book of Galatians, really. And they had brought in heresies and things which were just unhelpful. And things not only unhelpful, but were just not the gospel, were not the truth. Yeah. And so Paul wrote this to address these things. Things that come in, uh, they, uh, they were saying you, you have to go through ceremonies, uh, you have to have certain washing, uh, otherwise you're not going to be right with God. And they, brought, they were bringing back circumcision, uh, they were uh, bringing out the importance of worshipping angels. Uh, and, and Paul was following certain rules. Uh, you know, to, to really be right with God, you need to do this and, and do this, but don't do that and don't do that. And, uh, and they were downgrading the work of Jesus. And they also had uh, uh, people who had this secret knowledge, and not everyone had it. And, and uh, you know, if you've got this secret knowledge, then you're a little bit higher than the rest of us, and you need to come and listen to us, and, and we'll give you more instructions. Um, and so human understanding, human wisdom came in, uh, was coming into the church and Paul was, was, was wanting to address this and in, in chapter 2 he goes through a number of these things and, and, and has a go at them and saying this is, this is nonsense but before he does that and this was really important, before he does that instead of saying to them, look don't do this don't, don't go this way he showed them something far better it's like uh, if, if someone is really hungry and desperate for something, and they see a rotten apple on the floor, they're going to want to eat it, because that's all they've got. And, and you can tell them, don't eat that rotten apple, but if that's all they've got, then that's what they'll do. But what, what the person needs to do is say, don't eat that rotten apple, look at this beautiful apple that I've got. And that's what you want. And, and, and so Paul is saying here, actually, I want to present Christ to you. And if I present Christ to you, you're not going to want this rubbish. You're going to see that he is enough. That he is all sufficient. And so that's what Paul was doing in these verses. He was raising up Jesus to say, actually, look at him. Look at him. Look how wonderful he is. Look at how glorious he is. So that actually, when you look at these other things, you say, well, that's pointless, that's that's stupid to go that way. And so I just want to quickly just go through some of the things that Paul says about Jesus. The first thing is, uh, in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God made flesh. And when we look at Jesus, we see God. That's what it means. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God that we can see, that we can touch. And John talks about this. Someone who has lived among us. Who we can touch full of grace and truth. He was just grappling with this whole thing. God was here. He lived among us. And so when we see Jesus, and that's why the Gospels are so important to us. And that's why the Bible includes four Gospels. Because as we read through those, as we see Jesus, we see God. What he was like. So he, we can see how he dealt with the poor. How he dealt with those that were struggling. How he, how he dealt with those that were in sin. And, and instead of judging them, and instead of uh, having a go at them, he drew them to himself. And he lifted them up. And, uh, and so as we look at Jesus in the Gospels, we see his, his love. We see God's love. We see God's compassion for those that are downtrodden. We see God's care and concern for those that are are without a a shepherd. And we don't see, he didn't come to judge. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. And so it's so important that we we look at the Gospels often and see Jesus and what he was like. Uh, That wonderful song that we sang, the new one maybe to some of you. Uh, We see his glory in creation and the fact that he stood in the boat and said, Peace be still to the waves. And, and the song we sang, The Wind and the Waves Still Know His Name. You see, when we, when we see Jesus and what He's like, we see what God is really like. Yes. Amen. And, uh, and we see His love and compassion, His mercy. That's all contained in the Gospel. We see His power. In, in, uh, in healing the sick and raising the dead. We see everything about Jesus and about God in the Gospels. And in verse 19 of this passage it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's an incredible statement. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He didn't hold things back. No, he was in human form. But nevertheless, when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. We see his love, his concern, his grace and mercy. Okay. The other thing that we notice, and if you if you study the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus spent a lot of time in Nazareth and in Galilee. Now, at the time, Galilee wasn't a particular good place. To be it wasn't it wasn't the, the, the top place in Israel. It was sort of a bit of a backwater. I work in Victoria and uh, sometimes at lunchtime I go walking around and just on the on the doorstep is Belgravia and Sloane Square and and uh, the Chelsea Road and all places like that. And and the, the places there are amazing. Amazing buildings. Wonderful houses, which I would never have been allowed to go inside to see and, uh, and I, I was um, had to go to a meeting in uh, on Chelsea Harbor. This is a new development, which is just amazing uh, five star hotel there, wonderful uh, buildings, incredibly expensive place to live. Um, but do you know what? I ju- if Jesus was came to London. And lived there. He wouldn't be in those places. He would, actually, he'd come here. He'd come to Plumstead. Because it's a bit of a, seen as a bit of a backwater. It's not wealthy. There's deprivation here. This is where we'd want to be. Not that those places don't need God. (laughs) You know, and not that we don't have any compassion on those. We do, because they need a saviour just as we do. But actually, Jesus would have spent his time here. He would have lived here because he wanted to be with the downcast, the downtrodden, the poor. And so we can see that actually he has a, such a concern at heart for places like this. More than the, the bright lights. Now he did go to Jerusalem, he did go to the capital city but he went there to die. He, he, he went there to demonstrate his love for us. So this is what, when we look at Jesus, we see what God is like. But then in verse 16 it goes on to say, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So not only is he a God of compassion and concern and love, uh, but he is a God who is the creator. Jesus is the creator. He was there at creation. He spoke with God, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and things came to life. In uh, Hebrews one, it says, He is the author of life, the author of creation. He sustains things, all things, by the power of his word. And, And that includes creation, but it includes the world powers, or the authorities, in heaven and on earth. Everything was created by him and for him. Now, we can look at the world and we see it's a bit of a messed up place. And we think, oh, we don't really understand that. If Jesus created all this and it was for him and by him, why is it such a mess? Well, of course, Satan has a part to play in what goes on in the world today. He, he has brought about his ruin and his uh, desolation of this earth. But that doesn't mean God is in ultimate control. Because the Bible clearly says that one day his enemies will be made his footstool. He is in control. He is he hasn't lost control of this world. He hasn't lost control of, of the church. He hasn't lost control of this world. Yeah, it is. Uh, there is a case of uh, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light living together at this point and there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a tension that goes on and we see horrible things going around us. But the kingdom of light is here and one day it will triumph completely. It's already triumphed on the cross. He's just waiting for his enemies to have made his footstool. So when we look at Jesus, we see someone who has all authority and all power. He hasn't lost it, he isn't unable. He is more than capable. He spoke creation into light. And He is in charge, ultimately, of this world. He's not limited in any way. Amen. Verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. See, history really is His story. He's before all things. He holds all things together. He will be after all things when we see him face to face in heaven. He is the one that holds this all together. He is all powerful, all glorious. And he is all sufficient. He's all sufficient. There is nothing that he lacks. And then it goes on in verse 18. He is the head of of his body, the church. Jesus leads and builds his church. And in Ephesians 1, 22, it adds further that God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. We are Jesus's focus on the earth. He is preparing a bride for himself so that when uh, the end Time comes and we will be lifted up as a glorious bride to be with him forever. And he's preparing that bride. Again, you might look at the church and say, well, it's got a bit of a mess, isn't it? Again, we live in a tension of now but not yet in terms of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And so there is a bit of a mess at times. And things don't go as, as perhaps they always should. But that doesn't mean that God has lost control of his church. He's the head of it. He loves it. He's building it. Yeah. yeah, it gets a bit messy at times. He, 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 but he, he, he lived, he knows what it's like. He lived in a messy world, and it was still messy when he left it. But he knew that he had started something that would ultimately transform it completely. We need to know that we have a Saviour who is so for us mm-hmm. here. As, he, as, as a representation of his body here in Plumstead. And for the Slade, and for these other churches that are around. Not just us, we're not, we're not unique. He loves the church in all its different forms. He loves the people of God. And he is for us. He is the head. And everything he is doing is making sure that we are built up and strengthened. And then, verse 20, we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross. So 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. Jesus, his love for us was such that he gave up the wonders and the glory of heaven, and he lived on this earth, and he died a sacrifice for sin. And then he rose again, the first form from amongst the dead, it says in those verses, He is the guarantee that we will rise again, because he is the firstborn from among the dead, never to die again, seated at the right hand of the father. He is the one that we see ultimately in victory. He's defeated Satan, he's triumphed over death, and he brings peace. To us and God. He has reconciled. He's brought us close. He's brought us back to the loving Father. And so we can be embraced again. We're free from accusation. And we've been washed clean by his blood. It's wonderful, wonderful news. This is what Jesus has done. And Paul's point all the way through this is Jesus is enough. He's enough for you. Look what he's like. Look what he's done. He is all, has all authority and power. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's enough for you. And if, if not, if to sort of emphasise it even more, he says something incredible in verses, we didn't read these. we're going to read them now, verse 26 and 27. Because there was a mystery that he was revealing. He says, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. You see, what Paul is revealing is that it's not only the Jews that were God's chosen people, but it's everybody now. It's the Gentiles. They have been brought together as one. But not only that, the mystery is this. It's Christ in you. It's not someone who just sits done some amazing things, he's amazingly powerful and is sitting in heaven. No. Christ comes to live in us. He lives in me. So that where I go, he goes. Where I stand, he stands. What I face, he faces. Because he's in me. This is amazing. This is incredible. This glorious saviour is in me. I'm not alone. I'm not facing these things, these, these things as a on my own. I'm the glorious Saviour. The, the, the Lord of the universe is in me. Amen. And so Paul was saying, surely that's enough for you. Surely you don't need all this other stuff. How on earth do you think that mm-hmm. doing following a few rules can add to that? And that's why he says in verse 23, and this is so important, he says, if you continue. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Now this isn't saying, oh well, you'll lose your salvation. What he's saying is that you'll lose your power. You'll lose your ability to do anything. If you, if you wander away from this truth, Christ in you, Enough, and you start going to these other things, you will be utterly powerless. You will have no resources to deal with what's facing you. Because you'll be relying on things which have no power at all. You'll be relying on rules and regulations that will do nothing. You'll be relying on ceremonial washings, you'll be relying on feast days, you'll be relying on these things. They have no power. You will be powerless. You see, Paul understood the gospel. He says in verse 25, I have become a servant of this gospel. He had given his life for it. And the reason he'd given his total life for it is that he knew how powerful it was. He was met by Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life was transformed. He knew what he was like before. He knew what had happened to him. He knew that was only encountering Jesus. That was all it was. He had followed rules and regulations all his life. He was a Hebrew, he was a, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, whatever it was. I can't remember. Uh, he had followed this, he had done the rules, he had done all that. Nothing had changed him. But this encounter with Jesus had transformed his life. And he knew that if only people got hold of Jesus... Their life would be completely transformed. He knew that. He had no doubt about the gospel at all. All I need to do is present Jesus, and he'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. And he had such a confidence in the gospel. All you need to do is meet Jesus, encounter him, and do you know what? The rest is easy. Now, that doesn't mean to say we won't face trials and tribulations and difficulties, we will. But when Jesus is with us it transforms the whole thing. <coughs> we mustn't add anything else. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ. gives me strength. I just want to give an illustration. There's, Josh, did you manage to find? Okay. In the corner there, you can see a uh, demolition ball uh, knocking a house down. And uh, and if you like, just to think of a picture of anything that we stand against, we've we've heard about mountains, um, but if you think about anything that's in your life, is like a, an old, ugly, terrible building. And. Um, And you bring one of these massive balls in and you hit it and the building starts coming down. It can't resist it. But imagine, just imagine for a moment that, uh, because what that ball's made up of is a big ball, but also a rope or a chain. And just imagine that the rope was thinking, do you know what, I can do this. I can do this, I'll tell you what I'll do, we'll put the ball down and I'll do it myself. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and you can just see what's happening the, the, the rope gets pulled back and it's let go against the house and it hits it and bounces back and the, oh okay let's have another go <sighs> pulls it back flings it against the house oh I think I might have slightly dislodged a break oh maybe not let's just keep going and you can imagine that this, this is going to go on and on and it's going to be pretty much fruitless and it's like it's like saying I, I can do this, I can tackle this problem, I can I can get on with this, and, and, and I'm going to just keep bashing against this thing, and one day it's going to fall down. And of course, it's hopeless. You see, that's not the purpose of the rope. The purpose of the rope isn't to knock the building down. The purpose of the rope is to hang on to the ball. And that is such a good illustration, I think, of what we are called to do. And what Paul is saying here. Jesus is that demolition ball. He will—he has the power to knock anything down. Amen. Our job is not to break it down. is to hold on to the ball. Amen. By faith, to get hold of the ball and say, Look, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you're able. I'm going to keep hold of you. And that's what Paul's saying. If you maintain your faith, keep hold of Jesus... And anything will fall down. Yes. But the, see, the rope wasn't designed to knock things down. It was designed to hold the ball. And that's what we're designed for. We're designed for getting hold of Jesus, encountering him. We're designed to enjoy him, and be with him, and get hold of him, and then he just knocks things down in our path. He will come against those mountains... He will come against those ugly things that have raised up in front of you and he will knock them down. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4 But thanks be to God who always leaves us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Yes. You see those that have got hold of this truth. Those that have understood that actually what I need is to know Jesus. What I need is to get hold of him, to believe that he is sufficient for me. They are attractive people. Because they have a power and a strength and a glory about them that the world doesn't have. Because they know something. I know something. I've got a secret. I've got a secret. I've got a secret. I found a secret. Actually, and I'm going to let you know what it is. It's Jesus. He's transformed my life. He's given me joy and peace and love and he's enabled me to to go through difficult situations and triumph out of it. And you know what? That's what you need. That's that's all you need. To have that confidence in the gospel and to be those that always are coming out victorious. Mm. That doesn't mean to say we won't face difficulties. I don't want to belittle the difficulties that people go through. There are struggles and persecutions and hardships, the the Bible talks about that. But actually, we have a Saviour who has triumphed over them all. And he wants to go through, he wants you to go through them with him, to see what he does, to see how he conquers, to see how he knocks these things down. And he says, and Paul is saying, don't waver from that. Don't doubt." that the saviour is able it might take some time that building might take some time to come down but don't doubt that he is able he loves you, he's with you and he will see you victorious and so when you're going through those difficulties when you're facing those things there might be all sorts of things it might be something in your own life some sin that you're struggling with and you're battling against it and and Jesus is saying to you "Look, get hold of me I, I love you, just concentrate on me Take hold of me. I will battle that down. I will get rid of it for you. Paul is wanting us and and uh, explain to us that we have a saviour who is everything that we need. There is nothing more we need to add. As we get hold of him by faith, as we keep hold of him by faith, we will see these strongholds. These things come down because he's able and we are the ones that keep hold of him by faith and say, Lord, I trust you for everything. I believe that you are sufficient for me. I believe you're willing. I believe you love me. I believe you've shown that on the cross and that you haven't changed, that you still love me, you're still totally committed to me and and I'm going to trust you for this situation and I'm going to believe you to knock it down in front of me. Can we stand?